All right, so today we're going to do something a little bit different than we normally have, is we're going to do a, a kind of a panel session. Those that have been here for the last few weeks, um, they've, we've gone on some really, really good topics about kingdoms and conflict, um, and we've got, we got a whole bunch of questions that came in, emails went out, and people asked questions based on what the last few weeks were. So uh, we've got our, our elders up here. Um, I, my job here is to be the moderator. Think of me like the guy that sits out in front of the presidential debates. You know, and I'll give you so many minutes to answer. Uh, these guys are going to give you competent answers. <laughs> now, nah, they actually do stay on time. So, um, yeah, so I, I think that's a good place to start. Mike, absolutely. Thank you. Um, can we just take a moment and pray for Paul? Um, Paul, I won't make you walk all the way back up here on the stage, but Mike's got his hand on you, and uh, let's, just, let's just lift up Paul and uh, what the Lord is doing through him. Lord, um, you are awesome. You are great. You are good. You are glorious. Lord, you use each one of us. You placed each one of us in the body where you see fit, Lord, and you've placed Paul in McDonald's on that avenue in Kiev, Lord. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for the fruit that you've borne, Lord. Continue to bear much fruit through Paul's life, God. I pray that you would continue to heal his body. Uh, I can see that his spirit is strong in you, and I just pray that you would continue to sustain his spirit, spirit Lord, and he would be rejoicing before you always. I pray for a complete healing. I pray that he would be back on his feet. I pray he'd be able to return to Kiev soon. Lord, provide for him and bless him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty, fellas. So just to let everybody know, the, the key of the series they had, the, the goal of it was actually kind of introduce some, you know, there's some really, some core aspects of our Christian worldview, and a lot of times that can stand really in conflict in society. Um, and how do we present a, a message equally yoked by love and conviction? So a whole bunch of questions went out, and there was no filtering things came back in, and, you know, we had, they kind of combined questions together. So first one we have here, and you have three minutes to respond, is how do we prepare ourselves and children to stand tall for scriptural truth as we may be labeled as narrow-minded bigots who are really out of touch with reality? Yeah, I wanted to grab this one. So um, I think there's a lot of, first of all, just in the, um, the question, I think there's some woundedness. But just to talk in general, I think one of the very important things is just to remember um, what to focus on and when uh, in that focus on the main points of doctrine and, and when to engage. I think most of the productive conversations that I've had, and I think I've heard that many of others you had, is they're dialogues. They're not one-way monologues, or they're not uh, maybe rants, or even with heated uh, tones, probably not online on a book of faces or, or other locations like that. And so these are, these are dialogues. So I would encourage that um, to focus on those, but also to um, consider those in that put small weight on when you have someone that is, um, you know, the expert from afar, really, that's, you know, trying to speak in maybe this narrow-minded bigots, and I would worry about the face that's right in front of you, um, and try to engage that person and really talk to them in truth and love. We talked a lot about in those topics that we just covered, really getting down to, to core doctrine and just, again, focusing on that and being able to stand on it and share it out of compassion and not out of a drive or out of an anger or, um, you know, there can be, I think we can, I think it's safe to use a word like frustration, but not out of, um, again, not out of necessarily an anger, but out of like a, a motivation. 
Um, and so I, I think that that's some of what I would answer there. I don't know if you guys have. That's good. I definitely agree. I, I agree. Uh, speaking the truth and love, something you just said there in the, in the midst of your response is like our hearts are to love. We love God and we love the people around us, even though they may disagree with us or they may even oppose us. And so that's the, it's got it. We, we have to be known as loving, gracious people in addition to standing for truth. So. Awesome. Very good responses there. Um, so another question here, number two. Can you describe a time when you love someone, when someone you, you, you share with someone you love and they disagree with you on a very important moral topic? Sure. So, um, and we were thinking about this response, and we want this to be very practical. And uh, so we, we came up with three different scenarios. One is when we had a, a difficult conversation and it resulted in a positive outcome. And we had a difficult conversation, and it resulted in a, a somewhat negative outcome. And then the other, the other aspect is sort of a stalemate. And uh, I think these are practical for all of us. I can think, probably think of examples of all three in, in my life and the life of our family. Um, I'm guessing that you have similar conversations of yourselves in your life. So um, I've, I volunteered to share the success and um, without, without using any names or specific relationships and having discussed this with my family ahead of time, I, I wanted to share that there's a, there's a close member of our family that um, many years ago came out as being homosexual. And it caused a lot of damage um, to, to, that fam to the family structure, a lot of stress, a lot of tears, a lot of anger, and a lot of separation physically and mentally and emotionally. And uh, not a few unproductive conversations as well. And, and it took years to address that. And I think by, by God's grace, cutting to the chase a little bit, um, many years into the process, the person came to us and said, you know, I, I want to have a family. And, and our response, by God's grace, our response to them was, you have a family. That's us. We are your family. And by other points in the conversation, we made it clear that we might not, we'll never agree with the choices they made in terms of morality or sexuality, but they feel comfortable being around us, interacting with us, and uh, even bringing their partner to hang out with us on holiday meals from time to time. And uh, it's not gone probably where they wanted it to go or necessarily where we wanted it to go, but we've kept the avenue open. And by, again, by God's grace, we've extended love and, and managed to... Um, stand firm at the same time. I was voluntold to, <laughs> no, um, I'm going to share, so the, the failure uh, scenario here is an interesting one because the question is, well, how do we define failure? What is that actually, what are, what are we talking about here? Um, and a, um, an event that came to my mind was a discussion with a family member who is a professing believer uh, where we disagreed on the morality of abortion. And um, just to, for clarity, for any of you who sort of don't know my heart already, um, you know, I'm, I'm for, as, as we all are, firmly set against abortion um, as, as a, um, just a, it's a moral travesty and it's a hor you know, has a horrible uh, impact on the lives of people who are, who, who are affected by it. Um, and... So the question is, well, well, what does a failed conversation mean? Well, in this case, it, it brought about no change in that person's 
opinion. I, I wasn't able to reason with this person um, from, um, from, from a biblical perspective to the point where um, they, um, they came to think in a similar manner. Um, there was not really any change in their opinion or outlook, so I would consider that a failure. Um, but maybe that's, maybe that's not. I don't know in the sense that a, a stronger failure might be that person never wants to talk to me again. Right? I'm, it's, it's quite possible that we have family relationships or close friend relationships um, that have been just destroyed by disagreement over a moral issue. Um, and I think the um, one theme that comes back through all of these questions um, that I was going to touch on shortly, and I'll just foreshadow it, is that we have to be prepared to accept the consequences of standing on moral truth. And in some cases, that will mean damaged relationships. And so that, that doesn't make it any easier, um, but it's just something that we need to be prepared for. It applies to that first question as much as any of the rest of these. I don't, I don't think um, I was going to talk through frustration, and I think um, just to talk through that and, and a little bit of, of where Julian was coming from, um, a similar have, uh, I would call um, a different worldview, I'll associate that as, or just name it as a different worldview than most of my family. So I um, have a Christian worldview, and, and they have more of a secular worldview. And um, the points of frustration where um, we have had our family gatherings, and that's caused the most conflict, is in relationships. And um, just to, I would provide a summary point, I guess, to say that um, it's not to say that, um, you know, I, I don't get to talk to them anymore, that the frustration is, again, necessarily at them or that individual. I, I really like the individuals that they're with in those relationships, but that doesn't mean that, um, and, and we've had these conversations where um, I've basically tried to state that I appreciate and I care for that person, but there's a distinction here that I can't necessarily support this relationship or the some aspects of it. Um, and I think just to, what I tried to talk about earlier, about that's best in a conversation, in a very very tender one and, and just a very carefully stepped one. And the, why that's still a frustration point, I guess, just to say that it's um, more of an unresolved thing than, uh, than anything else in our family. And it's something that we continue to, to talk about. Um, and so there, there is some positive there. But um, somewhere in between, I guess, is it's um, a lack of movement, but there's still uh, open and availability, and I think that that's a, um, a good position to have it in. Yeah, really good answers there, Guy. Thank you. So um, let's go to next number three. So God has made us male and female. So how should I respond if someone wants to be recognized, you know, for example, with pronouns as opposite gender? Kind of interesting, just having this talk with two of my daughters the other day. Yeah, thanks. Um, by the way, these questions are questions that we received from the congregation over the past couple of months, so we really appreciate you guys taking time to write in, and I think we've actually used all the questions that were, that were um, submitted to us, so these are not necessarily questions. They're things that I'm interested in, I know all of us are interested in, but they're also things I think are interesting to or motivating to all of us, too, as a church family. So this is a this seems like a simple question on the on the on the on the surface, but as I thought about it, I realized I really hadn't given it justice as I was preparing. What would I say? How would I respond to this? And so I, I broke it down. My initial my initial response is to break this down into three different things. 
One is there is the fact of a biological sex that we all have. Our genetics determines that we're male or female. This, this is a scientific fact. And uh, even folks that have different cultural worldviews don't disagree on that. The second piece is where, where there's disagreement, and that's what, what gender is. Very recently, in the course of human history, history maybe over the last several decades, there is uh, there's an impetus by our culture to say gender is different than your biological sex. And um, the fact of the matter is, is that statement is diametrically opposed to scripture. And as a, as a Christian, as a believer, I, put my, I, I rest my moral opinions on what scripture says and not necessarily on what the culture says. Even though it seems like a very powerful thing right now, the cultural winds could change a lot in the future. So we set our convictions on the foundation, the bedrock foundation of Scripture, which has been in existence for nearly 2,000 years. So that's important. That's, that's an important distinction for those of us who are believers. That said, the, what we said earlier, too, has to control. We have to be able to communicate that in a way where we're not arguing with people, we're not beating them down, we're not yelling them, you're not yelling at them. David's comment, don't do this online, is a really good rule of thumb. Try not to have these conversations online or over email or in text or something like that. You just cannot communicate your heart for someone in, a, in an informal, I mean, an impersonal setting like that. The third um, layer of this is personal. So you have a personal aspect of this. You have facts of science, you've got cultural versus scripture, and you've got a personal thing. I've got someone standing right in front of me that wants to be addressed by pronouns, which are different. So how do I, how do I, Dave Ferguson, respond to that? Each one of us, each one of you needs to be before the Lord and have a good response for this. And I realized it's something I hadn't really given justice to. So I think for me, if I had time to process this, I think one of the things that I would want to say to such a person, say I, say I had time to actually think this through, um, as I'd say, look, what you're asking of me, I understand, I respect you as a person, what you're asking me to do is violate my conscience and go against scripture, which I value. And that's, a, that's a very hard for me to do, and so I'd like you to give me time to think and pray about this and maybe engage with you more. That's the best I can do right now, I think, in terms of talking to someone or accepting or doing what they want me to do. Um, now, I think there's another shade on this. There's another, there's another variation on this. That's a personal conversation I can have maybe with a family member or a friend or someone I meet casually in public, but there's some of us who face this sort of thing in a professional setting, and that's a different sort of conversation potentially, which maybe I'll let one of these other guys address. So. Yeah, so that really rolls in the next question, and this one actually, uh, I can say personally, I'd like to answer this question because this affects me for a whole month. Um, so here's a real-life example. My work has an event celebrating the LGBT community. How should I respond while I'm pressured to go? What should I do if attending becomes mandatory? Yeah, this is a, quite a question, isn't it? And I'm going to just full, you know, sort of context and disclosure, the company I work for was um, acquired a couple of months ago. I'm now part of a much, much larger company, and I do not yet know how the culture of that company plays out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a George Seebeck quote and say that I expect to be tested in the things that I'm answering to, uh, from the stage here um, in, the, in the near future, if not already. So feel free to ask me the question again in three months' time if you want um, and see um, about. So 
this question, what would I, how would I respond if I'm pressured to go? Well, um, spoiler alert, I'm not going to give a yes or no answer. I'm going to give a frame, a context, a framework within which I think hopefully we can make this decision for ourselves. And the first thing to say as part of that framework is you have no obligation, either morally or legally, to go to such an event. Right? That is not an obligation. Um, and the second part of this question says, well, what do I do if attending becomes mandatory? Well, that sort of that, then that becomes a legal question, and maybe we'll just sort of come back and touch on that in a second. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, it's also not um, morally wrong by definition to go to such an event. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. So um, the answer to this question, I think, all uh, is bound up in how do we think we can be the best witness for Christ in this situation. Um, I was just reading this morning uh, in 1 Corinthians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, I wrote to you my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I, now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So Paul makes this distinction. He says, I'm not telling you not to associate with these people at all. With that, how then will we reach many of the lost? But there's certainly a difference between if that person professes to be a Christian brother or sister um, and is still encouraging you to uh, attend an event like this. And it, it comes down to, okay, you have options. Your two options are, or two primary options are, to peaceably decline to go to such an event. Bearing in mind, and this sort of, again, goes for all of these questions. Romans 12, 18 says, so long as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So our, our, one of our overriding instructions as believers is not to pick a fight, basically, right? Not to be militant about this, not to respond to an invitation to go to something like that with, I'm not going to your stinking event, moral and horrible and disgusting, and, you know, that's a, that's a horrible answer to give, right? Hopefully that was clear, right? Um, but to respond peaceably. And perhaps if someone has a problem with that, perhaps to point out to them, well, if I were to organize, say, a, a Bible study group or an event celebrating Christian moral values, I would invite people to come to it. I would not expect them to come to it. Right? If we sort of put the shoe on the other foot, so to speak. Um, and then the, the, the second option, really, is to agree to go along. If you believe that you can, again, peaceably be a witness for God in that situation. Um, and so this is the difference, maybe, between... Would it be giving, in, in your specific circumstance where this invitation happens, would you just be giving kind of tacit approval to what's, what's being um, proposed here by going to the event? Certainly, if it were, if it were a Christian event in the workplace celebrating um, the LGBT community, then I, I would urge anyone as a believer not to go to that because the obvious connotation is I'm a Christian who does not agree with Scripture. Right? I mean, this is, we're, not here to, we're not here to sort of peddle our own opinions this morning or at any point from this, you know, in this body. We're here to present the truth of God, and that's the simple, the simple facts here. Um, so, uh, if, pressured to, if pressured to go, um, you know, those are your, those are your two options. Um, we were supposed to, go, supposed to come back to the pronouns um, uh, issue, um, and that is a really interesting one. Um, I know people who, in this situation, 
basically try to avoid pronouns altogether. So every time they address somebody, they address them by name. Uh, and then you're sort of on a very simple ground. If somebody legally changes their name, you address them by their legal name. Now, somebody in, insists on being addressed by different pronouns or non-gender specific pronouns. I don't think there is, a, to Dave's point, I don't think there is a um, very clear and simple answer to that. We want to show compassion for those people, um, but we also don't want to, again, like tacitly approve of what they are suggesting by just going along with that. And that, that sort of speaks to the, the next question is the bonus question. Just to add something to it, I think um, as Julian was talking, that came to my mind um, was just a watch that um, when you were pulling from Romans there, it's just a watch how we carry ourselves and where the focus is. Um, and I mean in that, in that when we're having these discussions or even as we're making these statements, especially in the workplace, to make sure that God and Scripture is the focus and not us or our, you know, our soapbox, our favorite soapbox that we may or may not have. Um, just to be really careful, and, and even before you, if you can, um, check your own statements and what you're about to utter, just to make sure that, you know, this isn't some kind of fight that you're primed and ready for, because it's something that you really want to tell someone about that is important to you and you and you and you. Um, that's not where we're talking about the focus should be. Um, so just to, just to carry that. And then just to add and support with Julian, too, um, in some of my workplace's experiences, I think... Um, the best way to handle maybe even something like this real quick, just to add to, is to understand what can be, um, you know, a, a passing moment versus a, a conversation. Uh, and, and I totally support and agree that um, to be able to defer and to guide to names and then to go from there if we're going to have further discussion um, and not maybe like a big group setting that's probably not going to be the most fruitful. Yeah, very good. I know for me, I... I, I, I kind of could cheat her way out. I use an Indonesian phrase that kind of has, is genderless, but I also do that. I say spasiba, whatever, to most people. So hosting international students gives me an extra little, little pathway to avoid conflict. Uh, so we're going to jump up to question six here. You want to do question five? All right, well, we're going to go back to question five. I think... Sir, you have three minutes to respond. Okay, <laughs> a risk of, of blowing time out of the water. So, yeah. So how do you respond to the statement, you need to respect my choices? Because this sort of plays into the whole thing that we're talking about here. Um, maybe it's to do with how somebody is addressed um, personally or in the workplace. Um, and I think, um, I think the thing to recognize here is that this, this sort of point on its own is really a flawed argument, or just as in, in, its, in its very definition. The, the, to say, for, us, for anyone to be able to say, you always need to be able to respect my choices, is just a flawed argument. Um, if I gave myself a name in my notes, I said, if I decided, I'm, I'm really dropping myself in this now, that I would like to be addressed henceforth as Mr. Peachy Awesome Source, you would not do so, most likely. Now, obviously, people are now going to call me that because I've laid this out here. <laughs> I, that's why I mean I've dropped myself in it. But it's pretty unlikely that you would do that in a work setting because it's not a reasonable request. It's just sort of, I mean, in this case, it's nonsense. But so to say, to say that you need to respect my choices is effectively saying you need to agree to what I believe before we can start talking about whether I'm right or not. That's the implication, akin to saying that. Um, so to someone who asks you that question, say that again. It's akin to saying, somebody asking you this is akin to saying you need to agree with my choices and my view of things before we discuss whether I'm right or not. Right? That's, that's effectively what this question is putting across. 
Um, you know, I could think of other uh, example. I, actually, I'm not going to go there because I, I was goofing off about these this morning about how, like, how, how our, our nature before God as it's defined by Scripture, and we could come up with all sorts of names for ourselves um, that um, we would ask people to refer us to because they, they, they reflect the nature of who we are before God. But without any context or explanation, again, they're just unreasonable requests that don't make any sense. Um, so it's, this point on its own, I think, is just it, it, it doesn't stand as a simple point of, of logic and reason. Um, and it shouldn't be used to kind of try to enforce any of the other questions that we've been addressing this morning. Am I under three minutes? Uh, you're right on three minutes, Your Holiness, Pastor Julian. <laughs> so let's move on to question six. Uh, and this is one that's probably going to, a lot of folks, I'm sure, have thoughts about this one. Um, is the church in America compromised on the topic of wealth? Do we avoid hard biblical truths in the area of money? And doesn't living in a wealthy nation make verses like Matthew 6.19 and 1 Timothy 6.17 even more relevant? This is, a really good, this is a really good topic. We could spend hours talking about this. So for the sake of time, I'm going to cut right to the chase and say yes. The church in America is compromised. And I can speak for myself, too. It's like, am I compromised? And, it, and I think if each one of us is before the Lord and we, and we say, are, are we compromised by the prosperity, the blessing, the abundance we have. We live in the most prosperous, open, blessed society in the history of the world. We are flooded with food, entertainment, information, money, you name it. Even those who are the worst off have privileges and opportunities and resources that rich people, even a century ago, could only dream about. So in spite of all of the troubles and trials and, and strife and injustices of our society, we are, we are drowning in wealth. And it does affect us. You look at the New Testament, the book of Revelation, all the churches in the New Testament in the first century were impacted by this. And, Paul, and they were warned, they were chastised, and they were called to repentance by Jesus Christ and by the gospel writers and by the letter writers of the New Testament. So we are not any different and we are much more privileged. So ultimately, each one of us has to get before the Lord and make sure that we're holding the things that he gave us in a spirit of stewardship rather than like, we own this, this is mine. So I wouldn't mind, uh, let's, let's, we could, if we could read, I have to put these verses on the slide. Let's just take a look at these verses and see what the, what the instruction is here for us. What are the warnings and what are the instructions? So Matthew 6, 19 through 20. 19 through 21, it says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the warning here, do not store up treasures on earth. Do not place your value on the things that you feel like that you own that can be easily taken away. Instead, our treasure is to be, I said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Our treasure should be on our relationship with the Lord. The fact that we have eternal life guaranteed with him. The, the spiritual, the eternal things of our life. Next passage. 1 Timothy 6.17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So here's the contrast, hope in wealth 
versus hope in God. And each one of us needs to be before the Lord asking him, where is my hope? My hope is often in my possessions and what I want my possessions to be and where I think my possessions are going. And I, I do this, and I'm sure each one of us struggles with this. We need, if, there's, if this has an unhealthy grip on us, if this has an unhealthy grip on me, I need to repent. You need to repent. And thankfully, God, he loves us, he offers us forgiveness, and he welcomes us back into fellowship. Even when Christ was chastising the church, he was calling them back into a relationship with them, with him, calling them, calling us into a relationship, our, our first love to worship him and put our hope in him, and that's amazing. I think it's also interesting here to, about the final phrase here, he gives us everything for our enjoyment. See, God is not a tyrant. He's not, calling, he's not calling you to a life of asceticism or just suffering or sacrifice. You, you may have to endure that, but it says he gives us everything for our enjoyment. So you can enjoy small things. You can enjoy big things. If they, if they own your heart, you will be miserable. If they don't own your heart, you can be, you'll enjoy them, you will thank God for them, and you'll be generous to the people around you. So I, I think that's, that's the start. That's scratching the surface on this conversation. Very good answer, Dave. Thank you. I know that um, for me, this series was awesome. Um, a lot of it's very personal, and it's about how you, you put your faith in action. Um, but it's, I think it's also just very just scratching the surface of some topics we have. So, so what are some other areas of tension between God's kingdom and the kingdom of the world that are worth an additional study? I'm, I'm, just, I'm ready to let you talk. That's, that's not a good idea. Um, yeah, so um, I'm going to cheat because Dave just talked through, and I, I think, um, you know, money and wealth are certainly something that could make the cut there for um, an expansion of this series. And, and um, I'll carefully say, I, I just talked about soapboxes earlier, but one that affects me a lot um, is just relationship and marriage and divorce and and there's a lot to talk and unpack that could be, could be done in that. And we've had, um, you know, we, d- we did have sexuality up here that time and we, and this, for this series, and we focused on that. And, and I think, too, just about how we, um, we had our, our biblical man and womanhood uh, series, and we even defined those and, and how at some point in the future it would be um, nice to have um, some discussion uh, up here and, and as a congregation on, on those topics as well, as, as that kind of wraps that all up in my mind at least. Awesome sauce. Mucos. Yeah, right. Peachy. <laughs> awesome sauce. Um, the, the, the other, uh, another obvious one that I add, would add to this, and of course it is a huge can of worms, uh, is the whole area of civil governance. That's something that we haven't talked about um, in this series. Um, it's, it's something that we, you know, we touch on over time, um, but that's another very big area. How do we, how do we live as citizens of heaven and as also citizens of a country with a legal governance framework, um, how do those things interact? How should they interact, and how do we keep them in the right order, and et cetera? Um. Yeah. That's never going to be relevant. Never, no. It's never. probably, yeah, probably, yeah, <laughs> probably a rabbit trail. We should, yeah. yeah. Just one more final. These topics and, and others that you're probably thinking of right now, this is where the rubber meets the road for us. 
and how we interact with our loved ones, our coworkers, even random people on the street. So let's keep talking about this stuff with one another. In your families around the dinner tables or uh, when we're in life groups or on Sunday morning or other opportunities, let's keep talking about this stuff. If there's questions that, we, that you had that you didn't submit that you still want to talk about, feel free to ping us. We'd love to interact with you um, in the future on this. And to, hear, and to hear your opinion. You heard something up here that you're like, wow, I don't understand it, I don't like it. Let's talk about it. We're, we're family. family so families don't always agree with each other 100%, but we do talk to one another, and we love one another. So. Amen with that, Dave. I think there's some resources we have as well. Could you get the resources up? page up? Did, it made it, did the resource page make it? Up? There you go. Some helpful resources. I actually checked this out the other day while I was working. It was uh, really, really good information on it. So. We're in a conversation and suddenly an assertion is leveled against your view and you don't know how to answer it. How long is this? Or maybe we, you've we forgotten the reasoning or evidence or maybe you haven't done yeah. your research in the first place. What would you say? The What Would You Say videos are a great way to ground yourself in the basic arguments for Christian values and convictions, but in the pressure of the moment, you may not be able to recall the details. For those situations, you need a game plan. The next time you're in over your head, here are three things. Very good. Yeah. We're quite expecting that, but hey, worked out well, great. I so yeah. <laughs> so I, I think since His Holiness, Mr. Mr. Peter Awesome right. Sauce, has the mic, why don't you close us in prayer for the worship team to get back up? Thank you. I will. And I'll also just, just one uh, extra thing to put out there as we, as we um, pray as well is that we are here not just to discuss with you, but to support you. Um, the, I mentioned earlier that we have to be prepared to accept the consequences of our choices. We may face um, consequences in the workplace, in social circles, wherever it may be. If you want to discuss these things with us, with leaders, uh, life group leaders, etc., then please do. But also, if you if you take a stand on this and you you know and and you suffer for it, then let us know. Let us be a support to you as well. You don't need to suffer. That's part of why the body exists. That um, we we expect suffering as believers, but we are not called to suffer alone. So, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good, um, that you are true, that you are right, that um, we can build our, um, our hopes, our beliefs, um, our, um, our view of the creation you've set us in based on uh, Scripture, based on what you tell us, based on the eternal truths um, that, um, that kind of are, are just embody who you are. Um, and we pray that you would continue to lead and guide us. We thank you that um, you give us wisdom through Scripture. Um, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit. And we pray that you would continue to sharpen us, uh, to help us learn how uh, to speak in truth and love to those around us. We pray that you would help us to have thoughts and words and actions that are honoring to you at all times. We pray that you would help us to see any flaws in our outlook, any way that we have misinterpreted what you tell us. We pray that you would, you would help us to, um, to seek those out even, uh, to be unafraid to share them with each other if we see them as blind spots in each other. We pray that you would um, keep our eyes fixed on you, that you would help us as a body to encourage one another towards you, towards your goodness, towards your truth. And we pray that we would be good 
and true and loving and compassionate witnesses to your truth, to those around us in our families, our friendship circles, our schools, our workplaces, wherever it may be. We ask above all that you would help us to be the salt and light in the world that you call us to be. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray.